the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 40 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Well, good afternoon, Bay Area. State planning attorney Bob Bergman. I'm broadcasting from my office here in San Jose in the Cambrian Park neighborhood, if you're familiar with the neighborhoods of San Jose. It's between Willow Glen and the city of Campbell. Um, So, first of all, I'd like to lead off by saying that I am going to be, uh, I'm going to be having another estate planning workshop. It will be next week, Wednesday, October 12th, starting at 11.30 in the morning and going for just one hour to 12.30 in the afternoon. This is a a new thing for me, doing a workshop in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week. And uh, I still have uh, about a half a dozen, excuse me, a half a dozen spaces available if you'd like to book, you can go to my website and look at the link on the home page for upcoming workshops and seminars. Click on that, and then you can register for the workshop. I have also added another workshop later this month on Monday, October 24th, from 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. So if you can't make it next Wednesday, but you like the idea of coming to workshop in the middle of the day so that it doesn't give up your evening or a Saturday morning, you can register for that other workshop, which will be October 24th, Monday, from 1130 in the morning to 1230. Excuse me for a moment. I have to cough. Wow. One of the things I found, um, having had a bout with COVID at the end of uh, uh, end of August and into September, that I have this lingering cough that comes up every now and then, and it also tends to come up when I start talking continuously without having any real break. So there may be a few times during the show today that I will have to uh, turn away and cough. Uh, hopefully, uh, those will be able to be caught if I give enough warning. <laughs> Uh, caught by my engineer, but I, uh, I'm i not making any bets on that. I mean, it could happen very quickly. As you know, sometimes you cough and you really cannot prevent it. You can't stop it, and it just comes on subtly. So that's what's happening to me now. Now, the, my usual format for this show is to go through and cover questions and comments from around the state of California. So I'm going to follow that format today. Uh, And I'm going to lead off with a question out of Los Angeles, 
California. And uh, this person wants to know if they will inherit from their mother's estate uh, if there's no will or trust. And here's the situation. It says, my mom passed away. My older sister's saying there's no will or trust. And she's talking about giving a percentage of the estate to her kids. I'm still living in the estate. Presumably that means in the house. My mom passed a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if I'm entitled to anything. Do I need an attorney? Well, let's put it this way. If your mother had a house in her name when she died, she had did not have it in a trust and she had no will, then your mother died what is called intestate. Intestate means no will or no trust. In other words, no estate plan of any kind. In a case like that, we look to the probate laws, what we call the laws of intestate succession. And the laws of intestate succession would say that the property is divided equally between you and any siblings you have. If you just have the one older sister, then that means the estate would pass 50-50, half to you, half to your sister. And in order for that to happen, if there's a house involved, it's going to have to go through the probate process in the probate court in Los Angeles County. So your sister's saying, I'm going to give a percentage of the estate to my kids. Uh, that's not going to happen legally. There's no real way for her to do that unless she wants to give a piece of what she's inheriting from your mom to her kids. And she could certainly do that after she receives it, not um, before it's divided 50-50 between you and your sister. So um, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that think that, uh, oh, well, because I think I'm in charge, I get to decide kind of what happens to everything. It doesn't really work that way at all. And uh, I never cease to be amazed sometimes at what people actually think uh, what they actually think the law provides for. In a case like this, though, it would be 50-50, and uh, that would be pretty much the, um, the, the answer to that right there. Moving on. Can a joint living trust, this is out of Daly City, California, by the way, up the peninsula for me, can a joint living trust name different beneficiaries from the settlers. The settlers or trustors are the people who created the trust. A joint living trust means that it was created by uh, two spouses, husband and wife, husband and husband, wife and wife, um, two spouses. This person said, my aunt and uncle want to do a living trust. They do not have any children together, but my uncle has two children from a previous marriage. My aunt wants to leave her share of community property, property owned by the marriage, to her brother and sister, while my uncle wants to leave his share to his children. Can they name different beneficiaries in the joint trust? The short answer is yes, they can. The more complicated answer is whether that will work or not depends on how they draft the trust. 
if they make provision that when one of them dies, that share goes into an irrevocable trust, perhaps to take care of the other spouse, but irrevocably designates that deceased spouse's intended heirs. For example, the uncle dies, his share of property goes into a trust for the aunt, but it provides that when the aunt dies, that property goes to the uncle's children, then that would work. But if they just have a joint trust that says when one of them dies, everything goes to the survivor, and then says when the survivor dies, it's divided 50-50, that will work unless the surviving spouse decides to change the deal. Because if everything goes outright to the surviving spouse, they own 100% of the property. And there'd be nothing to stop them changing to have 100% go to their preferred heirs for the aunt, her brother and sister, for the uncle, his two kids from a prior marriage. So you've got to be extremely careful when you're doing planning like this to make sure that if that's what the couple wants to have happen, that the trust that is drafted for them actually provides for that to happen. Uh, If it doesn't provide for that to happen, you could easily end up with one side of the family completely disinherited because the other side of the family changed the deal, changed the trust. So we're coming up to the first break of our show today. And uh, I just want to let you all know out there, um, I had a good time last Friday when I had uh, had the attorney on, uh, Brad Barth uh, from Southern California, talking about various estate planning topics. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Um, and uh, I hope to have some more guests on in the upcoming weeks and months. So stay tuned for that. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And we'll continue the show after this first commercial break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. And welcome back to the second segment of our show today. This is a fairly short segment, but uh, I'm going to dive right in. Out of Stockton, California, uh, here's the situation. person said, my sister and I are sole beneficiary to our mother's small estate. There's no other administrator or trustee named, and we don't have a conflict of interest. We want to be clear if there's something we have to file. So the question is, what's the process for transferring property from a revocable trust to the two beneficiaries? First of all, you probably have to get a tax ID number for your mother's trust because her Social Security number is no longer valid uh, once she died. And if the trust is generating any income of any kind, then you may actually need that tax ID number because you you may have to report some income uh, that the trust earned. That That's a possibility. So I would consult with an accountant about that to determine whether you need to do that. The second thing is, if we're talking about 
bank accounts and things that are owned by a trust, then you need to take over the accounts as trustees. If you're both trustees, both of you as trustees, and then you can turn around and close out the account. It's really a matter of providing proof that your mother died, proof that you're the ones in charge, and then just following her instructions. If it's real estate involved, then you'll actually have to transfer the title of the real estate out of the trust. Um, that is something you should probably have someone assist you with, uh, depending on whether you live in the property or not. If there's real estate, there may actually be the ability to keep the real estate if someone's living there and not have the property taxes go up. This is Proposition 19. I did an extensive discussion of Proposition 19 last year, um, planning before it took effect February 16th of 2021. And uh, that's something where if there is real estate and one or both of the uh, the children are planning to occupy it as their residence, you should <coughs> excuse me. You should consult with legal counsel to determine whether or not there is any kind of exclusion from reassessment that might be available when the property is actually transferred. So that would be my recommendations right there. There may be more things involved because I obviously I don't have complete information, but that's kind of the bare minimum to get started. Out of Bakersfield, California, someone asks, so person says, my father shares ranch property with his brother in Mexico. The brother does not want to purchase it from him, and my father's health is quickly deteriorating. My father wants to grant me power of attorney. Would I be able to sell the property in Mexico with a power of attorney made in California? If so, what if my dad passes before I can sell it? Well, in answer to the first question, I don't know. I don't practice law in Mexico. I would say you need to consult with a um, with an abogado uh, in Mexico to determine what kind of legal documents would be necessary for you to sell the property on behalf of your father if he cannot be involved in the sale for whatever reason. Uh, secondly, if your father passes before you can sell the property, then whatever the inheritance laws are in Mexico and whatever provision they have for um, passing property on to someone's heirs, all Mexico law. So I understand the person asked the question here in California, but really all of the questions asked are answered with reference to what does Mexico say What's the law in Mexico? What documentation is required in Mexico? Out of King City, California. <clears throat> this one's a little bit confusing. Let's see if I can unpack it. The question is, did my father have the right to give a house to a sibling of his? Person said, my name's on the deed of trust along with both of my deceased parents. When my father was alive, he gave the home to a brother without my knowledge. Did he have the legal right to give his brother 
the house without my knowledge. If someone was just on the deed of trust with the parents and not on the title, the ownership title to the property with the deceased parents, if the father was the only one left alive on the title, there'd be nothing stopping him giving the house to his brother. If, on the other hand, the child and the father were both on the title, this person said deed of trust, but sometimes people refer to a trust deed, which is an ownership document as a deed of trust, even though a deed of trust is a document that references a security interest in the property in favor of someone who loaned money to the owner of the property. So if this child um, was on the title, then the father couldn't just give the whole property away to his brother. All the father could transfer is whatever ownership interest he had in the property. So more information is needed to definitively answer, did the father have the right to give the house to his brother? But um, it depends on whether the father was on the title with the child or the only one on the title when the transfer took place. So as you can see, it's a simple question, but more information would be needed to actually provide a definitive answer. Now here's one out of Oakland. The trustee of a trust is providing only minimal information to the beneficiaries and insists that the beneficiaries must wait until the trust is closed to view the records. No, not really. Uh, the law requires the trustee to provide an accounting, um, uh, at least, an accounting at least every 180 days to the beneficiaries. You can't just say, oh, well, wait until the very end, and then I'll tell you everything that went on. It doesn't really work that way. So the trustee is required as a matter of law, not to make records available on a continuing basis, which is what this person asked, but to actually provide an accounting of what's going on with the assets of the trust, income coming in, debts and expenses being paid, etc., and really needs to keep the beneficiaries generally informed of what's going on. That's a general requirement of being a trustee. Okay, we're coming up on the mid-show break. When we come back, there'll be more Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman. So I'll see you on the other side. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. And welcome back to the second half of the show today. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And now we have um, um, another one out of Bakersfield, California. What happens when a trust states that there's no provision for an individual and then later makes provision for the individual. Okay, 
Here's the situation. It says, my father-in-law's trust states that there's no provision for his wife. Then further on in the trust, it states that his wife has the right to live in the family home rent-free. And if she doesn't want to live there, she can direct the trustee to sell the home and buy another that the wife selects or reinvest the proceeds in any manner that the wife selects. Isn't this a direct contradiction to a no provision for his wife? Uh, The answer is no, not really. No provision, saying I make no provision for someone in my trust, means I'm not leaving anything to the person. That's different from giving a right to live in the family home or giving a right perhaps to receive income from a trust that I established for the person, but they don't actually receive the property. Um, That's kind of what the classic bypass trust is in an estate plan involving a married couple that is called an AB marital trust with the A trust being the surviving spouse's share of property and the B trust typically being the deceased spouse's share of property that's put in trust to provide and take care of the surviving spouse without the surviving spouse actually owning that property. So really making no provision for somebody means I'm not leaving anything directly to them. That's not the same thing as uh, I'm going to do nothing at all for them. Instead, I may leave property in trust that they don't own and use that property to take care of them for their lifetime, but I'm not giving it directly to them. So that's really what making provision would mean in an estate planning context. Okay, out of Irvine, California. Person says, my mother has significant debt due to her irresponsible behavior with money in the last few years. She's secretive and does a lot of creative financing to pay for all kinds of things through both her business, which is a corporation, and by taking equity through her home by way of a reverse mortgage. I'm not listed as the guarantor on any of her loans, meaning this person has not agreed to be responsible for the loans if the person, in this case, the mother, doesn't pay. Says, I've never been the recipient of any of this money. I'm thinking a point will come when my mother needs help and then I should become her financial agent and also get a medical power of attorney for her, an advanced directive. She's 86 and obviously mentally ill. I would say right now, it's not a point in time will come. It sounds like that point's already come and gone, and you'd need to have acted before, otherwise you, so you could stop this. It says, uh, mother does not have dementia. I'm not sure how you know that, uh, unless there's been a medical diagnosis that she does not have dementia. The main thing is the person said, I don't want to put myself in any danger of becoming responsible for the mess she's made financially. Well, if you're just acting as an agent for somebody, 
and you're handling their finances, filing their tax returns for them, things like that, you're not directly responsible for any money that they owe. Her own assets are responsible for that. And you might be responsible for paying her bills, seeing if you can't settle bills, things like that. But you can't be personally responsible for any of her bills unless you sign for something, not as her agent, but sign in your individual capacity and become a guarantor of something. So that kind of answers that question for this person. Okay, I'm going to skip this one because it's too confusing to figure out what the person's even talking about. Um, okay, out of Palo Alto. Person says, I'm in my early 60s, still healthy and working, but I have no family and no close friends. I'd like to leave my intellectual property, etc., to some organizations, eco-village communities, art councils, stuff like that. Don't know how to set that up so it works. Well, if you don't have any family and no close friends, then you're really looking at doing an estate plan, um, maybe more than just a will, depending on what all you own and how what the value is, maybe doing a trust instead. But you're going to need to engage someone, either a person or an entity, such as a bank or trust company, to basically take over and handle things for you after you have died. You may want them to actually handle things for you while you're still alive if you become incapacitated. There are individually licensed fiduciaries, licensed by the state of California, that can actually assist with things like this. There are also some banks that have trust departments, and there's some independent trust companies that will do things like these things for you. So that is the kind of thing that this person's going to need to do. Um, is actually have a person or a company act to wind up their affairs after they've died. Okay, this person out of Los Angeles says, my sister has a warrant out for her arrest. She's the trustee of our mother's trust. Can I sue if I'm a beneficiary of the trust? Well, presumably the mother's still alive. But uh, if the mother's deceased, then the question is, um, did the sister do anything to violate her responsibilities as the trustee of the trust? The fact that she has a warrant out for arrest doesn't necessarily mean that she has violated any trust laws or violated the terms of the trust. It might be sufficient grounds if, in fact, she uh, she is arrested and convicted of a crime of some kind. It kind of depends on what the crime is, whether or not a court would actually remove her as uh, the trustee of the trust. So more information is really needed to sort out exactly what the issue is here with this um, with this sister who's acting as the trustee of the trust. Okay. So here out of Oakland, California, this looks like it might be related to the other question. 
is, quote, sold the house and still have to do these things acceptable for an annual accounting. I kind of talked about this earlier in the show. It really is not. You have to provide more detailed information to the beneficiaries because otherwise they have no idea whether or not what you're doing makes sense, whether it is lawful, whether you're actually acting appropriately as the trustee of the trust, kind of all of the above. That is a real issue. And uh, and in a case like this, I think you really, really need to have um, you really need to have uh, more information being provided. Now, we still have a few more minutes to go in this segment, and then a final segment after after that to close out the show today. I think I'm going to open the phones up if you'd like to call in and ask me a question. Uh, live on the air. The number is 800-516-1220. Like the call numbers for KDOW. 800-516-1220. And uh, if no one calls in, then I'm going to spend the rest of the show talking in general terms about estate planning because I've run out of questions and comments from around the state. So um, I'll give it a couple of minutes here for someone to call in. Um, we have a couple of minutes to go in this segment. So let me just say, uh, I'm going to repeat right now so I don't forget at the end of the show, that I do have an estate planning workshop coming up in my office here in San Jose next Wednesday, October 12th, from 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., I only have space for 15 attendees in my office and nine slots have already been taken. So if you'd like to come next week and learn about estate planning in uh, in an hour, uh, I think it's very valuable. A lot of people have come to this workshop that I do and they've enjoyed it quite a bit and come away uh, with a better understanding of what some of the issues are in estate planning and also a better understanding of what they may really need to be doing themselves in the area of estate planning. And uh, you can go to my website at lawbob.com and click on the button that says register for upcoming uh, seminars and workshops. And then it'll take you to a registration page where you can go to the bottom and actually turn around and, uh, and click on the date. Now, I also have the workshop coming up again on Monday, October 24th. So Monday, October 24th, same time, 1130 to 1230. Okay, uh, we're ending the third segment of the show today. When we come back, I'll finish out the show. This is Attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and we'll talk with you after this commercial break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. I welcome back to the final segment of our show today. I thought for the final segment, I, I, I'm going to talk about a somewhat obscure portion of our estate tax law. And um, 
uh, you may have never heard of this before, but it's the idea of portability. Now, basically, if you're married and your spouse passes away and your spouse does not have an estate that is a taxable estate for estate tax purposes, right now that would be an estate greater than... uh, greater than um, a little over $12 million. If everything passes to the surviving spouse and the surviving spouse is a U.S. citizen, then there is no federal estate tax owing uh, regardless of how much money or property is passed to the surviving spouse. It could be a billion dollars. There's no estate tax. But here's the deal. At the end of... 2025, starting January 1, 2026, the federal estate tax exclusion amount that applies for property passing to someone other than the surviving spouse as a citizen would also apply to a surviving spouse who is not a U.S. citizen or to children or other family members. That exclusion is going to drop because the current exclusion law is temporary. It's going to drop down to the best estimates are about six and a half million dollars. Now, probably for most of you out there listening, even at that level, you're not worrying about the federal estate tax. But there are plenty of people here in the Bay Area, plenty of couples in the Bay Area that already have an estate that is greater than that amount between their house and life insurance and investment accounts, uh, their uh, 401k plans, their IRAs, their brokerages, their bank accounts. And what this means is that if one spouse dies and leave everything to the surviving spouse, and then the surviving spouse dies later on, they might have, quote, too much estate at death and have the excess over the exclusion amount subject to the federal estate tax. Now, portability is the notion that the surviving spouse can um, file an estate tax return with the Internal Revenue Service and indicate that they are electing portability of the unused exemption or exclusion amount available to the spouse that just died. That means that that unused exclusion could be used when the surviving spouse dies, or I should say by their estate, so that if they have too much estate, there may be some exclusion that was preserved from the first spouse to die that could be used to offset or effectively get rid of the federal estate tax in the future. It's kind of an esoteric concept. But uh, the fact of the matter is that most people are unaware of it and uh, and you actually have to file that tax return with the IRS within nine months and claim the portability, nine months of death of the first spouse. And uh, it, there's an expense involved, obviously, in filing any kind of a tax return. You have to pay somebody to prepare it for you. But I look at it as kind of an insurance policy. In the trust that I draft for married couples, I specifically give the ability for the surviving spouse to elect 
portability, especially if everything's going to the surviving spouse. I bring it to their attention so that they're aware of it. And then a determination can be made. Do we do this? Yes or no. A lot of it's going to depend on the size of the estate when the first spouse dies and the likelihood that it's going to grow past a certain point in the future. Uh, of course, we can't predict that, but I can tell you that uh, that uh, certainly um, I do have some clients where that is, in fact, the case, and they do have estates that are not taxable now, but would likely be taxable in the future when the first spouse dies, if they die after the end of December 2025. And that's not that far away by my calculation. That's a little more than three years away. And I'm assuming that all of us anticipate and plan to be around over three years from now. I know I certainly do. I mean, three years from now, I'll be 70 years old, and I plan to be doing the same thing then that I'm doing now, being behind this microphone, talking to you here, live on the air in the San Francisco Bay Area. Well, that's it for the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned some things. I want to uh, reiterate to you that, uh, uh, boy, that's a $64 word. I want to tell you again... (laughs) that I do have a workshop coming up next Wednesday, um, October 12th from 1130 to 1230. You can go to my website at LawBob, L-A-W-B-O-B. Click on the button to register. It will take you to a page where you can drop to the bottom, register for that workshop if you'd like to come. Or you could come to my workshop on Monday, October 24th at the same time, 1130 to 1230. I may be adding other workshops in November, so you can always bookmark that page at my website and come back and check and see what's upcoming. Great show today. Thank you for being with me. Have a great weekend. This is attorney Bob Bergman. You take care out there, especially on the road. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Was your business Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.